This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Friday, Hash friends. We are in the three box on a beautiful Friday. I'm Jen Sinassi. I'm joined by Tyrone Ross and Will Foxley, if you are watching us, you are watching on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening, we're on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I get to start the show today. It's just, you know, a top heavy gen day. So we're going straight to the Ukraine. Ukraine's government has launched a website where people can donate and buy NFTs in order to raise funds for their war efforts. So you'll remember that Ukraine launched its own NFT collection at the end of March. Now, those NFTs are not on this website, but the government said a second drop is planned for May. Tyrone, I'm passing this down to you. Ukraine has really leveraged crypto and NFTs to raise money for their efforts. I think it's a really interesting era we're in if we look at the history of crypto to see how people are so easily able to use assets and, and methods to get money to Ukraine in, in such horrible times. What did you take away from the story? So we, we all we always look for use cases, right? And I tweeted earlier this week that I'm warming up to NFTs. I did a podcast episode on it. But I think this is exactly what we want to see from this technology. One, the rallying of a community around a cause to help other people. That's what we all came to crypto for. Secondly, the power of NFTs and what you're able to do there. Again, income in perpetuity, the ability, again, to rally a community. But also, I think in this sense, folks that are in a war-torn country where you've seen the explosion of stable coins there as well as send value. So I think you would hate to show the ideal use case of crypto in times of war. But I think NFTs now and stable coins, you sort a bunch of crypto uh, Bitcoin donated. I think it's awesome to see folks you know, rallying together to, to hold hands globally, if you will, in times of crisis. Yeah, I'll pick it up from there. This isn't like the first time we've seen crypto be involved in war. Obviously, it's been around for like a decade now. And so there's been like stories and reports, stuff about Palestine really comes to mind first off the top of my head. But this is the first time we've seen like a government get behind it in a way that's more official, right? We've seen Ukraine has actually created its own department to structure this. They've taken over $60 million in funding from crypto. They've used that crypto to buy war supplies, to buy bulletproof vests, to buy medicine for people, to buy food for people as well. So crypto has moved much more so onto the mainstream side governments where they're seeing this as, as a method and a vehicle to provide for their people during wartime. And that obviously also has some downsides. Like we've, we've seen that because crypto has come to the mainstream, that there's been more uh, attack vectors from the regulatory front that people want to make sure that like Russian government isn't using crypto for the downside. When it comes to NFTs and stuff like this, this is the, like, the very weird bleeding edge speculatory side, right? Like what is the purpose of an NFT for war funding in, in this conflict? It just, it seems really odd and out of place to always read these headlines. I want to read this quote from the deputy minister of digital transformation. He said, blockchain, crypto and NFTs won't stop the missiles, but do offer a way to protect our defenders and rebuild Ukraine as an innovation friendly country. Some of the other headlines we've seen this week is it's this weird phenomenon where NFTs are holding their value and we're seeing other crypto assets kind of decline. Right. And NFTs are still holding their value. And so 
I can understand why the government might look at something as NFTs and say, okay, while everything else is on a little bit of a downturn, NFTs are holding their value. So let's give people a way to donate their NFTs or purchase NFTs so that we can take that money on and, and ride this wave. So it makes sense to me. I still also, I know I'm a real gung-ho NFT supporter, but I'm kind of with you now, Will. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Some of these headlines are just a little weird. It, they are a little weird. And I'm wondering, like, who is this person running this for the government and where are they living? Like, what's the situation on the ground? There's a story here that needs to be told about like this person and what's going on yeah. uh, in this headline. Cause you see some of like the stuff from the Donbass and like the actual conflict zone. And it's very, very different from these headlines. Like they're operating in two different worlds, same conflict though. Just interesting. It'd be interesting to see more reporting around this is my last thoughts, but I'll pass it to Tyrone for the next story. Yeah. I, I'll just add these two Satoshis to finish. I think Hopefully we never figure this out. When you're in a war, it's whatever works, whatever we mm -hmm. can do to get, you know, supplies and resources. So I'm sure they're just like, this is hot right now. There's again, a bunch of buzz around it, whatever we can do to get resources in. But just wanted to add that. I feel like at that point, the country is just being attacked like that. And so many people are hurting whatever can get resources in, even if it's NFTs, let's try it. Right. All about it. All about it. Yeah. Okay. So on me, I'm up. So forgive me because I, I was, I got to admit, I was jealous when the Fidelity news broke and I wasn't able to be on here. So Apollo didn't let me down. So Apollo Global Management, right? If you know, if you're from TradFi, $500 billion in size, Apollo is, they own a little bit of everything. This is huge news on the back of the Fidelity news as well, hiring Christine Moy away from JP Morgan. If you know what JP Morgan has done, they've tinkered a lot in, in crypto and she was very much spearheading that movement. And I believe she was there 18 years. So for them to pull her away is huge as they start to jump into Web3 and blockchain here. I wore this shirt for them because in the article it said they're going to skip over Bitcoin. So Apollo started home, first base. I mm -hmm. thought this was huge, especially on the back of the Fidelity news because one of the things that I always say is we are at peak mass accepted, right? I think everyone just, this isn't going away. For us to hit mass adoption, you're going to continue to see the dominoes fall with the behemoths, folks who just, they are in a massive flow of money globally get involved here and Apollo getting in is huge. But I'll go to you, Will, because I know you probably feel the way that I do that they're just skipping over Bitcoin and jumping into Web3. Yeah, so this is going to be a very uneducated opinion, but I'm going to say it with like a lot of fervor, so you better believe it. This is this reminds me of <laughs> 2017, 2018, when everyone was getting into like the blockchain side of things, right? They're like, I want Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoin's old. Like Anyone can spin up a cryptocurrency. I want a, a platform with functionality I can build something on. And it seems like this is the same playbook, right? So Apollo uh, here it obviously has a lot of assets. And then Christine Moy, who they hired for this position, like she made herself known because she invested in Decentraland, which is more or less a yeah. metaverse project incorporating a token, incorporating a blockchain. Hasn't really gone anywhere. Like Decentraland is a thing, but like there's been some nice reporting on Coindesk about how like sparse it is. There's not really anything built there. It's all about like this Web3 idea that incorporates the metaverse that has not been built out, that doesn't exist yet. And it really is the most speculative play within all of crypto, which is already really far out on that ledge in terms of speculation. So I think these things get kind of dangerous. And I do think like these institutions, 
they have some money to play around with, so they can be wrong. It's okay to be wrong and experiment with things, but I'm with you. I think like this, this gets a little dangerous. Like there's things that crypto does that it shouldn't be playing around with. And there's things that Bitcoin is already doing that is valuable that people should be doubling down on. So this reminds me of the Central Africa story the other day with, with them adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. Like why is there not more movement towards bringing up those nation states and investing in infrastructure there and meeting those people where it's at? And why are we catering to this Web3 metaverse speculation that doesn't really have any legs right now? It just has a lot of money behind it. Like I'd love to see a chart with a number of dollars invested in metaverse projects and then the actual dollars per user. I think that chart would be pretty breathtaking because there's a lot of dollars on the balance sheet right now and there's not a lot of consumers using it. Jen, I'll give it to you though. Yeah, when I read this story, my mind didn't go there, but I think both of you are absolutely right. There's all of this money going into the metaverse. And a few weeks ago, we looked at some of the numbers of actual active users in the metaverse. And I don't have them on hand now, but I believe Decentraland was under a thousand active users a day. And that's so minuscule when, so we look at the, <laughs> when we look at the grand scheme of things, right? And anyone who's been into Decentraland, it's like this weird experience where you can't really do anything except for like run into walls and other people. When we talk about Christine Moy, though, her 18 years at JP Morgan on the innovative side of digital transformation is really interesting. And so I know when she said she was leaving mm -hmm. JP Morgan, we kind of speculated as to where she was going to go. And I think that just given her history, this is the perfect place for her to land. I was looking at some of what they said around what she'll be doing. And she's going to strategize on innovative digital assets. I didn't write the quote down properly. Please forgive me. They said she's going to have mm. a specific focus on working with companies and founders, transforming the financial services sector, which is perfect because, you know, she's done just that before. But I will say, I remember when JP Morgan went into Decentraland and we we're all like, what are they doing? Like, it's just JP Morgan <laughs> branding in Decentraland. Although I agree with both of you, I think because everyone is pouring so much money into the metaverse, it would not make sense for these large companies like Apollo, like JP Morgan to just ignore it. So I think that she is a good choice for building out this strategy and looking for startups and founders who can align with that strategy and their investment. So that's my thought. And like if we, if we did take your portfolio from like the, when we started the hash versus everybody else, you'd probably like be up multiples on everybody because we were all super bearish yeah, on everything. I know. Like, it's great. I know. And you then it's really well. the underdog. <laughs> I know it was like the underdog. It was like the irrational. And then it worked out the really irrational. well. I must say, I do participate in sports pools sometimes, and we all know how much I know mm. about sports. And I always win because I have no clue what's going on. You like the person Sounds betting on like the jersey color. investors for sure. Yeah, that's about right. Okay, we'd stay with early crypto investors. Talk about early adopters for nation states. That's Panama. Their legislature has moved forward with a bill that would make Bitcoin not quite legal tender, but it would exempt it from capital gains taxes. It still needs to be passed by the president there. So we're just waiting on one signature. Importantly, it was passed with 40 to zero votes, meaning there's a lot of support for it across the board. What would this mean for everyone who's in Panama? And what would it mean for Bitcoin investors? Well, if you're buying Bitcoin down there, you're not going to be taxed for that capital gains, which means you get to keep more of your investment if that investment proves out to be a winner. 
for everyone in the Bitcoin space right now, they're doing a lot of victory laps saying that this is another instance of a country you know, taking Bitcoin as a legal tender. Well, it's not quite the case, but it's pretty close to it. So it, Panama's constitution doesn't allow them to state that they have a legal tender of any sort. Currently, they use the U.S. dollar. They have used the U.S. dollar for quite a bit, but that's not even in the constitution. They just That's the means for their medium exchange down there. And so they seem to be moving Bitcoin towards that as well. Uh, there's some interesting quotes in this story talking about how Panama doesn't have the right to tax anything that's on the internet because it's not within their borders. And there's some other really forward-thinking and progressive ideas about how Bitcoin could operate within their economy. Pretty noteworthy, particularly coming out of El Salvador's adoption last year, and then the Central Republic of Africa's news from last week, which was very underreported, but also a huge story. Tyrone, I want to throw this one over to you and get your take. Yeah, I mean, I'll add to that with Crypto Bahamas this week in all of these countries and entities outside of the U.S. looking to lead here in the crypto space. And meanwhile, our president puts out an executive order that tells all of our regulatory bodies, you have 180 days to figure something out. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and the continuation and innovation, you know, across the world continues to happen. So I think that's huge. It'd be great if we had no cap gains here in the U.S. But I think the next step here is we'll see what they do with the, you know, wash sale rule. And ultimately, if how Bitcoin is taxed, if you use it as a currency here is probably a bad thing because every time you use it, it's going to be taxed. So hopefully we're paying attention to this. But I like all of this news coming out because one, it shows that we are going to lose the ability to be leaders here and innovators if we continue to just stand pat. And then the other part is, as more countries really start to look at, well, how do we tax and what do we do? As you mentioned, right, borderless, it's not within our borders. So how do we look at this from a regulation standpoint? And also from a custody standpoint, like, is it something that can actually be custodied in a particular place at any particular time? So um, I think it's really interesting. And hopefully, we follow suit at some point to get our own regulatory hurdles cleared. I agree completely with you, Tyrone. I think the pace at what the U.S. is moving is because they've all, they're so used to being on top. They're so used to being the big dog. But this technology is allowing countries and jurisdictions to come from underneath and really get ahead when it comes to innovation. I, I think at the end of that 180 days, we're going to kind of feel like a little bit of a a release, but also like a whole lot of nothing. We haven't really seen anything come out of any of these research reports, any of these committees. The U.S. just, it feels like we're talking around it and we can't come to any kind of consensus. I wouldn't be surprised now if the U.S. starts researching what's happening in Panama, just the same <laughs> that the way they're researching what's going on in El Salvador and what the motivators behind that research are. Is it really to innovate in the U.S. or is it to understand what's going on in these countries because they really feel like they're losing a grasp on, on countries that use the U.S. dollar and that they have some yeah. kind of power over, especially when it comes to their finances? That quote that you mentioned, uh, Will, when you introduced the story was really interesting to me. That It said, the idea is to just respect the tradition that Panama has already had for many years where the country taxes what happens inside of its borders and the internet is obviously not in any country's borders. So that was Felipe Echandi. He's a local crypto entrepreneur who helped draft the bill. And what an interesting way to say, well, the internet is not in anyone's borders. So it, it doesn't matter. It can't be regulated. I don't think anyone else is thinking about the internet like that. And I don't think anyone is thinking about the metaverse like that. And although no one is really using the metaverse, I think we're going to have a lot of conversations come out of a lot of countries because they're not going to know where to start. The metaverse is borderless. 
How are people going to operate? How are we going to enforce laws in the metaverse? This is a Bitcoin it's story, be- Jen. Don't make this a metaverse Sorry. story. <laughs> <laughs> and everything is a Bitcoin story, too. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Stay in your lane. No, it, it, the, the one splinter story I will say about this that's interesting is how much Bitcoiners are involved in regulation at this point, like across the board. You see this happening a lot in the United States. There is a huge crypto lobby now. And I think it's just because there's so much money and it's so interesting that a lot of law students and lobbyists are just rolling right into the crypto bandwagon and they're joining along with it. You know, you have Coin Center, Sad Center, Blockchain Associations. There's tons of these things are all over the place, lobbying on, on behalf of Bitcoin and crypto. And you're hoping that they're lobbying to the benefit of the industry and not just to like help their own pocketbooks out. But I think that you see that it's a global thing as well, right? We're having people in Panama helping draft this regulation. I would expect all three of us would not have thought about that before we read this story. Uh, maybe you really know Panamanian legislation super well, but I would not expect it to see like someone in the industry helping the government uh, pass this legislation, move it forward. There's Bitcoiners everywhere and they all have an interest because of the asset itself in getting this legislation moved across the finish line. Well, I think let's wrap it there. As a Bitcoin day, we had a Bitcoin day on a Friday. I'll give that to both of you. I'm sorry <laughs> for trying, trying to, to taint it with the metaverse. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, well, you'll, ha- you'll have your day. You and Christine Moy will have your day. <laughs> I will have my day. Yeah, exactly. It's gone. It's oh, gone. gosh. Thank you, everyone, for watching our show on a Friday. If you're watching us, we are on Coindesk TV. And if we're in your ears, you are listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. The hash for your eyes, for your ears, and for your heart. I'm Jed Sanasi. That's Tyrone Ross. We got Will Foxley on the other side. And we hope you have a great weekend. Bye, BTC. <laughs> no doubt. Later, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>